A one, two, two three, four. T to G to I to F to T to G to I to F to F. Thank God it's first. Thank God it's first. Thank God it's first. T to G to I to F to T to G to I to F to F. Thank God it's first. Thank God it's first Friday. All right, so I am Brother Luke Rowicki. I'm Brother Andrew Tory. And this is TGIFF Season 2, Episode 2. We are going to be, again, broadcasting from two different countries again. So, Brother Andrew, where are you at right now? Right now, I am at a Benedictine monastery in northwest France, Brother Luke. So, if you're curious to ask why he's there, stay tuned. Because today we're going to talk about a couple things. Um, first of all, evangelizing culture today. Maybe some of us, as we look at the world today, are waiting for a miracle. You know, so we're going to talk about what does that miracle look like today? What's a modern day miracle and what's our role to play in that? Um, I just got back from San Giovanni Rotondo. And for people who may not know what that is, you may know the Saint Padre Pio, whose feast day is actually today. We're recording today. Today. uh, Because I will be starting my silent retreat tomorrow night on the 24th of September, but this episode is going to be fresh and ready on the first Friday of October, as always. And uh, those topics are relevant for all of us, uh, and we're going to explain why those topics are interesting for all of us. And before we get into that, Brother Andrew is finished with his philosophy master's, and so now he is officially starting theology. Brother Andrew, what does the theology community at the International College of Legionaries of Christ look like this year? Well, this year, Brother Luke, um, as always, these past several years since I've joined the community, it's been an amazing uh, community, basically. Um, And we are looking at about 85 brothers in our community this year, Um, different countries as always. uh, We have a good slew of American brothers and you know, Mexicans, a couple of Europeans from France, Italy, Spain, um, Poland, um, many from South America, South America. So it's, it's a really good group of brothers. And I, I love being with living with these brothers who are all, we're all approaching, um, the priesthood the last couple of years of our formation. So that's what the theologians look like. There's 85 of them this year with um, about five or six priests who sort of help us as superiors and formators. And then there's a whole other building in our seminary where there are going to be about 60 or 70 uh, younger brothers who are studying philosophy. And so all in all, there's about 150 or so brothers with about, I would say, 50 priests uh, in the house. So about 200 of us in the house this year. Okay. And so we're excited that, uh, well, I'm excited that Brother Andrew is now starting theology. And he's starting off on the right foot, I think, at a Benedictine monastery because this is responsibility as he began a couple years ago arriving to Rome. He's going to continue to be our song director, chant director. And not only that, but there's an exciting new debut come in um, of this songbook that has been long in coming of editing and the basics of songs we sing during masses and during adoration and things like that. Uh, And so once that comes out, we'll tell you more about that. But to get into our theme, so now that we've talked a little bit about 
what it, what this year looks like for both of us. I'm actually in my last year of theology, but Andrew's in his first of three years. Uh, so my diaconate ordination is now looming, but I'm excited about yeah, that. Yeah, Brother Luke, what do you think about that? You only have one more. You have less than a year before you're a deacon. Yeah, I. it'll be probably next summer, July, August. Uh, very excited about that. Yeah, this next step. It's actually, it's now beginning the sacrament of holy orders, the diaconate ordination. Uh, it'll give me an opportunity to approach take another step towards the altar and also begin to i can now have the power to you know do baptisms and to uh anointing of the sick maybe no no you can't you can't do that no not yet not yet that implies forgiveness of sins that's true the confession any seminarians out there who are listening if you are a deacon you cannot do the anointing of the sick (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, but, you, but it doesn't necessarily imply confession. Well, it implies the, the forgive, when you receive the anointing of the sick, um, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know, I haven't studied it, so I don't know if that's the precise reason why a deacon can't um, dispense that sacrament. But I know that um, if a deacon tries to do that, the, that sacrament is invalid. Um, so, yeah, heads will roll. Watch out. Exactly. So those are, those are all the things I need to, you know, um, brush up on as I get closer. And also like house blessings. There's a lot of really awesome things that deacons can do as they prepare for. They can give homilies during the mass. They can read the gospel. So those Yeah, are I can't things. believe you're already, you're already at the threshold here. That's, I, yeah. I remember when you arrived in the candidacy, you know, with just a, a white undershirt, you know, and shorts. And they're in Cheshire, you know, and this guy just coming from California just hopping on the the bandwagon, and then you stayed a week later, and you changed into candidacy, and now you're going to be a deacon next year. Man. And that's a perfect segue into our episode today, because we want to talk about miracles. What does the world need today? Who are modern-day saints? I think it's every vocation to the priesthood, to marriage, anyone being faithful to their vocation is a miracle. So let's talk about that. But Andrew, you have now been at this monastery for four or five days, I think. And just recently you talked to the oldest monk at the Abbey and you kind of asked him his, his advice on, I don't know, the priesthood, his vocation. Uh, what did you learn from that conversation uh, related to this theme of evangelizing culture today, the society and the Duke way hermeneutic? That's right. The Duke way hermeneutic, which we apply always to every event that we talk about. And whenever there's a what, there's a why, right, Brother Luke? So that's when, when you look at some event, something that's happened, there's always some, something that we can look at. And then we take a step back and ask, why, you know? Um, I saw this movie and it really affected me. Why? Um, I had a deep experience in prayer and it gave me a desire to do, I don't know, an act of charity. Why? Um, I really didn't like what this politician said. Why? So it's always not to just stay on the, the level of like, you know, um, you know, just going with the flow, but it's, you know, stepping out of that, you know, common movement of thoughts and opinions and emotions to, act, to be a little bit more critical, right? So, so, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm here at this monastery in France. It's, um, it's, it's a very beautiful experience. I've been here about uh, a week 
And the reason I came here is because, like you said, I'm in charge of the music at the seminary, the, the liturgical music, and I have to direct Gregorian chant for the community. So that means I go up in front of the community and I have to move my hand in an elegant, uh, peaceful, uh, forceful way so that the whole community sort of follows the rhythm. Because if you go to YouTube and you search Gregorian chant, you'll notice that it's very different from you know, modern day music. It's, um, it's a sort of a slow, um, smooth uh, song in which many syllables of the words have many notes. So for instance, if I sing um, um, so the Salve Regina, it's a hymn to Mary. It's very beautiful, the, the one that we sing on Saturday. It goes like this, the beginning. Salve Regina. So some parts of Gregorian chant start off powerfully and then there's like a crescendo, like a moment of climax and then it kind of goes down. So the, re the reason I'm here is I'm learning how to, how the monks at this monastery in Solem, Solem, how they sing because they had, a, there was a great renewal of Gregorian chant here in the 1800s. And so this is sort of like the Mecca for chant. I remember in our um, novitiate, so the first two years of our seminarian formation, uh, so we had this German chant director, priest who is still there, Father Andreas Kramartz, and he was very demanding. He's a legend. <laughs> and he, when we were a little bit off tune in um, the morning, singing our um, Veni Creator, a Latin hymn we'd use every morning to begin our hour of contemplation prayer in the morning, he would always bring us back the next chant class and put on a recording of the monks of Solem. And that was like our way of comparing and inspiring us. And so I think it's really cool when I hear that you're there at this monastery with the real monks of Salem and not just listening to a recording like we would do, because it's amazing how it sounds like you can tell it's a choir, but they're all in sync. So it sounds like this one powerful voice and the RC testes like the going, you know, louder and softer and all these things. It's, it's, it's a perfect example for the rest of us of how to sing Gregorian chant. So we're all hoping that when Brother Angie gets back, he's going to, people are going to start saying monks of crack, who? Crack the whip. <laughs> going to crack the whip when I get back. <laughs> no, but yeah, it's, and it's beautiful because, well, we've, we've kind of talked about music in, in previous episodes. Music is a force for culture. Um, music uh, has a unique power to, to touch the human soul. Um, there's, it's hard to think of it. Everybody likes some type of music. Um, and it speaks to us in different moments, you know, when we're happy, when we're sad, when we're confused, when we have doubts, um, you know, just all the emotions of the human heart are represented in, in music. And Gregorian chant has a really special power to elevate the soul, uh, like, like incense rises during mass, to elevate the soul to, to God. And St. Benedict, he was this, so he was the first of two, you know, great saints that we're going to be talking about, you know, in our episode today, St. Benedict was was a guy who didn't wait for for miracles to happen to change culture he didn't wait um for you know other people to do something he he was born in 480 480 um af, uh, ad after after christ and he this was after the roman empire fell so the roman empire fell in 476 so he was born four years after the roman empire you know kind of 
kind of ended. And so Europe was entering a sort of what people call the dark ages, right? When most, when you're losing uh, Roman, Roman power, Roman hegemony, you know, as being sort of the, the leader of culture. And so what happens? Well, culture starts to be um, confined to um, like little, little communities throughout Europe. If you think of the, the, the picture Starry Night by Vincent van Gogh, that is basically what the Middle Ages is like. Um, mm. Yes, there is a lot of, of um, there's a lot of, a lot of the picture is the dark blue, but there are many parts of the picture that are, that are bright lights. And St. Benedict, he started the bright lights. He, start, he started a community of, of men who wanted to follow Christ radically. And he came from an, an educated family. He had opportunities. He, he could have pursued a, you know, a great career in, in, in law or letters or whatever. But he decided, you know what? This is, I, I, don't, I don't want to dedicate my life to, to some you know, worldly uh, opportunity or job or whatever. He, 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 was, he wanted transcendence. And so he went out, he left, he was born near Rome, and he, he went out to, um, to these, these caves uh, in the Italian countryside, and he experienced God there in prayer for several years. And he slowly, um, men started to, to, know, to know about him, and they, you know, they would go for him to advice, and, and he slowly started to, to create this community of men uh, who lived together um, in communion. And who who would who would sing um, who would sing psalms and who would um, celebrate the mass together who would share meals together who would pursue holiness and he started that and it, it, and he ended up writing this really um, really insightful uh, short a little book called the, the Rule the Rule of Saint Benedict and here at um, at dinner time. Uh, at, at, the, at the monastery, we always read at the, at the end of dinner, we always the, the monks always read out loud in Latin, actually sing it out loud in Latin, a number from, from the rule. Um, so St. Benedict, he didn't wait for, you know, these big, amazing events to happen. He said, you know, I feel like God is calling me to, I don't know what exactly, but I, but I, but I, I need to do something. And he did it. So I read this uh, book, and it's largely based on what you were just talking about. It's called the Benedict Option, and this in this book, the author um, whose name I can't recall, my memory is terrible. Uh, Rod Dreher. Yes, exactly. So Mr. Dreher, PhD, um, talks about how these. At first, you get the impression that what he's going to try to do is say, okay, if you're really Catholic, you got to leave the cities and basically raise your family like uh, St. Benedict in the cave. But no, that's not what he's saying. He's saying the challenge today is, uh, can be taken from the, the same challenges that St. Benedict faced and basically saints of all ages have faced and the church has faced, which is there's this secular force in the world that kind of can pull us away and distract us from what's what's truly essential and can even it can be very dangerous to our faith so to ask yourself what can i do to counteract that or to fight back is to create a catholic culture in my within you know where i work with my family and 
so just applying the Dunque hermeneutic to what you were saying, Brother Andrew, where there's a what, there's a why. Okay, so you're, you're telling me about this guy who lived in a cave, and this is 1,500 years ago, and I'm like, okay, great story, Brother Andrew, and it really was, but what, I, what does that tell me now as, you know, that we're in the 21st century, and I got, like, my smartphone and everything, and life seems very different than it was during the dark ages. So what, what can St. Benedict's example do for me now? Well, one of the big things that Benedict said in his rule was uh, place nothing before the love of Christ. Place nothing before the love of Christ. And um, that's, what, that's what he did. Okay, that's what that's what Benedict did. Now he had he he had to overcome a lot of difficulties. Um, there's a cool story. One of the first groups of monks that they they were they were missing you know a, a sort of a leader, and they they went up to him and said, "Hey, you know, can you be the leader of our religious community?" And Benedict, perceiving that these monks were kind of lax, and you know he thought that you know his lifestyle might be a little too severe for them, he said, "Well, maybe maybe it wouldn't be good. You know, I think maybe it'd be." Better if you ask somebody else, but they insisted. And so Benedict said, okay. And so he started to lead their community as their abbot, right? The head of the monastery. And little by little, these monks became disgruntled and frustrated with the demanding discipline um, that Benedict demanded of them. And one day, the monks, you know, it was, it was uh, you know, a mealtime and, and, you know, the monks, they had prepared, you know, this, this uh, drink for, for, for Benedict and they, they Brought him, they brought a chalice to him, you know, to drink and, um, you know, great. And so Benedict, you know, of course, he blessed it before, before drinking, you know, blessing the meal. And immediately the chalice uh, burst apart and, and broke. And, and the, 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 the wine just, you know, splattered everywhere. And Benedict immediately perceived that uh, it was a miracle because they were going to poison him because <laughs> they didn't want him as their leader anymore. And so Benedict wasn't afraid to, to, to go against um, what he perceived as uh, you know, a negative force in culture. You know, in this case, it was, you know, the laziness uh, of a religious community. Um, so what Benedict can tell us today is he didn't care about being liked by people. He didn't care about worldly success. He knew that his goal was was to find God and to bring God to the people that came to him. He, he was, he was a, a channel of God for people. And that's because he put nothing before the love of Christ. Now, of course, he had tons of, he had tons of uh, struggles, right? There's, there are many stories about, you know, temptations uh, uh, against chastity that he had, you know, and he threw himself into, you know, thorns and etc. Um, but what he can tell us today is that he had a fire in his heart. He had, he had, I mean, there's, there's so much about his life that we could talk about, but the point of it, the point of his life, and then maybe this next saint that we can kind of go talk about now, the point of his life was that he, his, his heart was on fire because he had Christ in the center. He didn't know all the plans. He didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't know the monasteries he was going to found. He didn't know when he started off that he was going to write this rule that would be like a foundation for, for Western culture and, you know, preserving the, the, the knowledge of the past and bringing it to the future. He didn't know all those details, but he had a fire in his heart. 
because he put nothing before the love of Christ. Yeah, I, I really love that point. You just said it there at the end, and you, um, you sort of alluded to another moment as well as you're talking, that we don't know what God has in store, but when you're faithful, he can, God can do amazing things. Like, just then, like, he didn't realize that this rule is going to be the foundation for religious life forever afterwards, and even inspire this book by this professor applying not only the rule to religious life, but applying the rule, the Benedictine rule, in this book, the Benedict Option, to the lives of any Christian, Catholic, mom, dad, anything. And, you know, any person can take this principle of nothing, you know, between me and Christ, nothing above Christ, nothing before Christ, uh, and apply it to their lives. And when we do, God can do incredibly miraculous things. The greatest miracles are not necessarily the curing of a leper, but it's the transformation of the apostles from these fishermen to becoming the first Pope to, to being afraid and locked up in the upper room until going to the ends of the earth and preaching this awesome message of, of Christ's death and resurrection, this good news to the entire continent of Europe and Asia. And um, the real miracles happen inside. Like the physical miracles were never the goal or at least not the ultimate goal of Christ. The physical you know, the leper being cured, the blind man being able to see was always one step, but as Christ always added, your faith has saved you, or you're my son or my daughter, your sins are forgiven. It was always this spiritual transformation because that's what's going to get us into heaven. You know, if, if I can see and I can run marathons and I can do all these awesome things, but it's, you know, inside I'm a total jerk and I'm far from God and everything, like, how has that really helped me in the long run? If, yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a modern translation of St. Paul. <laughs> you know, if, I can sing, if I can sing and I can run marathons, but I'm a jerk, then what's it all worth for? That's basically quoting Corinthians, right? You know, if I, have, if I can speak all these languages and, you know, I give my body to be burned but have no, have no love, then it's, it's worth nothing, you know? Yeah, exactly. So we, the miracle we need to or we can look for today that is not beyond our grasp it's just one small yes today away from happening and from being actualized is the spiritual ones, the interior miracles. And so I think we can ask ourselves too, what is a small yes I can say today to Christ to put him above my worries about my job, my worrying about what other people think of me, because those things get in between us and Christ. But you take another saint going off tangent, Mother Teresa. She had no idea what was the mother of God's amazing plan for the missionaries of charity. She just knew that he was calling her to leave the congregation she was a part of, because if, for those of you who don't know, she was already a sister in the, with the Loretto sisters. And then she felt this, well, she had a, um, she heard a voice and had some visions and in her prayer. And she knew God was calling her to leave that order to, to start working with the poor support, you know, to start a congregation. Yes. But to, to see the fruits of that and how it expanded so fast and to see that she would win Nobel prizes and she would help us like none of that was in her plan, but it was in God's plan. And it started with her saying, yes, today I'm going to take this next step because you're asking this of me. Uh, and that's what St. Benedict shows us. And that's what Padre Pio, whose feast day is today. So it's really cool that um, a huge blessing. I was able to go uh, and be there at his shrine at his, the sanctuary uh, the last couple of days with Padre Pio and to see the same thing. He, he was a man who 
like it's even the capuchins there talk about it was not necessarily learned intelligent speaking bunches of languages but he was someone that burned with a fire to evangelize and burned to save souls and uh there's so many incredible stories of him bilocating and of his you know being in ecstasy and prayer of three-hour masses because he was so enthralled by this miracle of the eucharist and the reality of the incarnation that in the mass every every mass it's calvary being presented again and our redemption being played out that mass is three hours like sometimes we complain when the homily is a little long you know mass is three hours and he had stigmatas and so his hands and his feet and his side were also wounded with the same wounds of christ okay incredible and how does that again the dunque where there's a what there's a why like what i got from my you know very short visit to san giovanni not only is was the desire to read some more about Padre Pio because it's an incredible life, but it's not so different than what I'm called to to do as a seminarian and Brother Andrew and I as, as future priests, which is God has given each of us souls to save. Like he's, you know, he has something in mind for Brother Andrew and I in our future ministries, uh, just like Padre Pio. Padre Pio was called to evangelize this tiny town of San Giovanni Rotondo, which is now packed with hotels and restaurants and things because of the thousands of pilgrims that come that flock to this, this small town every year and are continue to be touched by this, this poor monk's example of holiness and of fidelity to Christ. Uh, you know, and what's the recipe for being a saint today or any, any day? The recipe is collaborate with god so god inspires you with something he gives you a little challenge instead of dying away from that challenge you say okay lord i'm going to walk out into the water with you i'm going to follow you into this this darkness because i'm kind of confused on where you want me to go i'm just going to take this next step and you can use me however you want the best thing we can do is to let god use us and brother Angel, i want to let you talk here too but the other day i had a uh, an idea in my prayer a light that kind of came to me out of nowhere. And I've just read recently that thoughts that come out of nowhere are actually the ones we should pay most attention to, not the ones that come from study and from, because, um, you know, it could come from God. And if it comes from God, then it's, you know, it's a powerful thought because it didn't come from an idea I had, but I've been praying a lot and kind of almost worrying a little bit of, man, I'm a, about to be a priest. And like, I need to like form myself and study a lot and get ready because it's a huge mission. And thinking, what are the talents that God has given me? And I need to, to bring them all, like maximize my potential and things. And it was sort of getting me anxious. And like, sometimes when you get anxious, it's like, or almost always, it's a sign that that's not necessarily coming from God, at least not completely. You know, there's a lot of me getting in there and maybe some worldly ideas, like some ideas of you need to be famous, you need to be successful, you need to be, and all of, like, we're all affected by that. And the, the idea came just kind of out of nowhere. The best thing I can do with whatever talents I might have and even weaknesses is to offer that to God and say, God, use me however you want. It's not, I don't have to hone in on my top skill and maximize it to become this like super successful CEO. And in my mind, I was pitting a, two people like opposite ends of the spectrum. I was thinking, okay, Trump, because I just saw a documentary on Trump and his life and Mother Teresa and how both of them in a sense, uh, you could say like they had success, but it's very different and I'm not judging anyone, 
the success of someone who says, I'm going to get whatever I want. I'm going to take it, you know, and, and I'm not getting political here. And, or someone that says, I'm going to, you know, do only do whatever God wants me to do and forget about myself, you know, and they both had worldly in a sense, success. And Mother Teresa had it and Trump is, you know, president of the United States. So whether you think he's a clown or not, like he's the president of the United States. So that's pretty, quite an achievement. Um, you know, how does, what does that look like for me today? Well, the best thing I can do is not necessarily build, uh, build up my image and use all my talents. Yes, but according to God's plan. So I'm talking a lot, but Angie, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree with you that, you know, um, to be a saint is to, just to collaborate with, with God. It's not, to, it's not to just sit back and wait for something to happen. It's not to, to, to wait for a miracle. It's not to wait for other people to do something. No, I am baptized. I am a child of God. I, 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 can, I have divine power in my soul. My soul is forever marked by uh, you know, being a child of God. And, and God has some, some idea, some plan for me that, that you know, I don't know exactly what it is. But I know that he is, he, he's the first one who's interested in bringing me to, to the heights uh, of holiness. But that uh, holiness um, is, 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 is a collaborative work. And so that means, like what we were saying earlier, it's a little, it's a little yes today. And then uh, another yes tomorrow. And then the day after, another yes. Um, and it shouldn't get us worried. Holiness is... We can have a lot of clear ideas about holiness, but it's often, it's often a mystery how precisely God um, will bring about holiness within us. It's, it's mainly the work of God uh, in us. And so what's really important is that we don't sort of identify holiness or the way that we want to change culture um, or whatever big plan. We don't identify it with sort of like it has to be this way. Or, or like um, a sort of um, like 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 taking steps and like like those can be good, right? But it's but it, you know but God is not a micromanager. He's not. He he's more concerned about starting a process in us, and and so it's helpful for us when we think about this great desire that we have to change to start a cultural movement, like uh, Benedict did or Padre Pio or Mother Teresa. Um, it's important that we, that we don't, that we should think big, you know, it's, it's, you know, I love our faith because our faith is always, it's made of paradoxes, right? On the one hand, Jesus wants us to think big and he told us that you're going to do things greater than I've done. But on the other hand, we should have a lot of peace and, and realize that, that God really is in charge. And so, yeah, so I would say, and I agree, it's, uh, holiness is, is, is a collabor- collaborative work. Um, and, and if we have God on our side, like what, what can't we do? Um, I mean, God is, is so powerful. Even from the, wor- the worst things that can happen, um, God can bring something good out of them. So, I mean, if, if he can do that, what can't he do with my mediocre life, let's say? You know, if I start to do a, you know, try to, to you know, take a few steps in the right direction, you know, what can't God do with me? Amen. And just as you were talking too, it came to me, 
it's not going to be easy. Just because we do what God's asking of us doesn't mean he's going to pave this really nice road in front of us and like nothing will be able to touch us. And we're just like stiff arming the devil there and, and like ignoring completely uh, temptations there. No, there's going to be constantly God is going to allow us to see, you know, our, our need for him. And he's not going to take away, like you were saying, he's not a micromanager. He's not going to take away our freedom. And it's a beautiful thing that he trusts us so much, but he's not go- ever going to uh, take away our autonomy. And so collaboration means that there's more than one person really at work. And so God, when we collaborate with God, our weaknesses and our difficulties aren't, don't just disappear because they're real. They exist. But it's in those weaknesses and difficulties that actually God's glory is actually more apparent. And yeah, we shouldn't get discouraged. If we begin today to ask ourselves, okay, this, this guy at work or this student at in the university or whatever, whatever difficulty I see in my family or around me, um, I begin to ask why, like what might God be telling me? And then you get into light, you get an idea and you're like, okay, I'm going to, for now on, I'm just going to forgive him. I'm going to be really nice to him or her, or I'm not going to be afraid anymore of this thing. You're still going to, be tempted to, you know, punch the guy, or you're still going to be, you're going to wake up and, you know, maybe have be sweating about like some test you have coming up and, you know, Oh, well, but I said yes to God and I'm trying to live my faith. Yeah. It doesn't mean your, your nervousness goes away, but whenever, whenever I see my weaknesses now, after reading St. Therese, I'm always reminded that, Hey, this is another opportunity to remember I'm better off needing God and going to God than being this super ubermensch autonomous robocop that just like untouchable, you know, like I'm Superman and like bullets bounce off me. No, like I can be wounded by um, someone shooting me. And so that's why I need to have God with me all the time. And, and if you have God with you, like you said, St. Paul again, if God is on our side, then we're going to be able to overcome anything. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, our faith allows us to live all of the tension with, with great peace. So I know we are coming to the end of our episode, but Andrew, any uh, concrete ideas that pop in your head, a Holy Spirit moment right now to help our listeners put into practice the Dunque that we've talked about today, where there's a what, there's a why? Why, yes, Brother Luke. I've thought about this very carefully uh, since before you asked the question. I knew you were going to ask it. Oh. Um, so... I really think that the, the start of any cultural revolution, the start of any saint, is, is a little bit of spiritual discipline. Um, and I think it's so important, I've, I've said this in past episodes, we need to pray, we need to pick up our Bible, we need to dedicate time every day, and it's gonna be hard, and so we need to pick up our cross too. And once we start dedicating those 10 minutes or 15 minutes every day, you know, then little by little, God is going to expand in our souls. Um, who knows what's going to happen? Like the, the concrete things, like your life, you'll start, uh, you'll, you'll start to see new colors. You'll start to, to perceive events in a different way. You'll, you'll start to be more at peace. But it's so, so important to have a regular life of prayer every single day. That's, that's what I think, that's I think one way that we can put in 
um, put into practice what, what St. Benedict said, no, putting nothing before the love of Christ. Beautiful. And I'm going to add to that the need to pray. I'm going to add to that, read a book of a saint, or even just like find a news article that's positive about something good that's happening in the world. Uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits, who started these retreats that we do every year, the spiritual exercises, his conversion came largely in part due to picking up for the first time in his life books of saints. And he compared it to books of chivalry because he, was, he wanted to be this glorious knight and have all this fame and, and money and women and things. And that, when he started to read the lives of St. Francis of Assisi and other saints, he realized that, that, that com- doesn't compare at all to the glory of heaven, to what God wants to do through me. And it was like this lasting joy that came through him. And so I think in the midst of some negative news and yeah, this coronavirus seems like it's still not over by any means. And there's still people that are sick and there's fear and uncertainty. Don't just stay with that kind of news because that's not the full spectrum of reality. God is always present, you know? So to read some, you know, abstracts of, I don't know, some positive media, Vatican news maybe, or EWTN or, uh, there's so much out there or just pick up the Bible or books, lives of saints. Um, Mother Teresa is a really good one. Padre Pio is a really good one. Um, St. Therese, I love. And be inspired, you know, to be a saint that God, the, God, the saint that God is calling you to be today. So with that, we are going Amen. to end this episode with our punchline. We do not just do. We do quay. That's the first time we've ever got it right. Good job, Andrew. Yes. Awesome. God bless everybody. God bless. Bye.